Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana, they're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. Outdoor Adventure won't wait for engine problems. Things like hard starts, rough performance, and lost fuel economy are often caused by fuel gum and varnish buildup. Seafoam can help your engine run better and last longer. Simply pour a can in your gas tank. Hunters and anglers rely on seafoam to keep their engines running the way it should the entire season. Pick up a can of Seafoam today at your local auto parts store or visit SeafoamWorks.com to learn more. My name is Clay Newcomb and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Welcome to the Bear Grease Render podcast. My, oh my, do we have... Incredible show for you today. So I am. Uh, we're sitting around a nice white oak wood campfire in the in the mountains of Arkansas, and we've got an eclectic group of guests today. Today's going to be a little bit different. So for those of you who might not be super familiar with what we do, the Bear Grease Podcast is what Justin. I don't know how you want me to describe <laughs> that. <laughs> the Bear Grease Podcast is a documentary style podcast we have multiple guests very polished and produced that tells a story about a specific topic a person whatever we're talking about the bear grease render is this which what is this justin this is a discussion about the polished podcast right and it's a random group of people Mm -hmm. but today it's not so random so typically on the render we would discuss the previous week's podcast and we're we're not going to do that today though we're going to do something a little bit different because we've had some pretty wild stuff happen, and I've got a pretty wild group of men here that I will introduce from left to right. To my left is Justin Michaud. Justin, welcome, brother. Thank you, buddy. Tell us, tell everybody what you do. I am a photographer and videographer. Who do you work for? 
You. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Uh, <clears throat> different brands. Lacrosse. Can you tell us some of the brands sure. you work for? Meat Eater, First Light, Lacrosse, Danner, uh, Vortex. So you're a professional videographer, professional photographer. You live in the great state of New York. Yes, Western New York. You told me <laughs> that your kids, the first day of school the other day, had to like tell about themselves. Yeah. What would you say about yourself if you were in the second grade and your teacher said, okay, Right, five things about yourself that make you special. What would you say? Do I need? Do I have to name five? Well, just two. I, I like biscuits and gravy. Because <laughs> you're originally well, you, from South right. Carolina. Well, you knew that would come up. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. You're I, a deer hunter. I'm a deer hunter. Love coffee. Love what I do for a job. Doesn't feel like work. Love my wife. Today is my anniversary. Oh mm. wow! Yeah. How many? How many years? Twenty-two. Congratulations, man. Yes, yeah. That's big. That is big. Commitment's good. She makes it real easy. Good. Well, to Justin's left is a man who needs no introduction on the Bear Grease podcast. I just let James know yesterday, Dad, that he is a member of the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. You didn't tell him. (laughs) (laughs) So, James Lawrence, an an original inductee in the Bear Grease Hall of Fame. OG. How you doing, James? (laughs) Doing good. Well, we're Proud, proud to be inducted. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. When I told him, I said, uh, I explained to him what the Bear Grease Hall of Fame was. And I said, James, here are the people that are in it. <laughs> James Lawrence, Daniel Boone. Mm. And he, he got a chuckle when Daniel Boone was the second one. <laughs> but it's c- quite serious. Very serious. And then, you know, the other guy, it's Warner Glenn, Roy Clark in Tennessee. What you've just heard is a white oak acorn falling about 30 feet out of a big tree hitting a tin roof, if you yep, heard that thud. James Lawrence, Daniel Boone, Warner Glenn, 80, probably 87 now, uh, cowboy in Arizona. Roy Clark, plot man extraordinaire in East Tennessee. Frederick Gerstocker, who was, an, was a hunter in early Arkansas history. And then George McJunkin, who was the former slave that found the Folsom archaeological site. So you're you're amongst quite the company, brother. Oh, wow. Well, I feel privileged. James, we're like in your home turf down here, man. We're we're right in the the cradle of Lawrenceville. It's good to see you. It's good good to be here. Hey, I especially I told, in my home ground. Listen to this. I probably never said this. In 2010, when I started my career in the outdoor space, we, we were pioneering and starting a regional magazine. And do you know who was in the very first issue of that magazine? James yeah. Lawrence. Really? I went to James because he had a story of the biggest buck you ever killed when you were how old? Twelve. Yeah. So you've been hunting for how many years now? Well, I'm 74. Yeah, 62 and years. so I'd hunted three or four years before I killed that one. So yeah, been hunting since probably nine and so, to this day, the biggest buck you ever killed was when you were 12, and it was a real unique story, and you'd found the shed horns of this deer back during the time when there weren't a lot of deer. You'd found three years of shed horns that killed this deer. It scored about 160. It was just an incredible story. So I went to James and wrote an article about him, and there's a picture of me and James in that magazine holding those shed horns and that buck. Well, when I went to work for Meat Eater, and they said, Clay, you got to start a podcast. You know who the first person I went to was? Dad's pointing at James, James Lawrence. I went to James's house and I said, I'm going to do a podcast on the Shedhorn Buck of 1962. So thanks, James. 
Thank you. <laughs> he pretty much owes his career to you. Yeah, no, yeah. I do. Man, hey, for real. What I've made, uh, what, what, what I love about what I do is finding people that didn't get the attention of the outdoor channel, you know. And when I when I learned of James's story and got to know him, I was like, this is cool stuff, and nobody knows this story. Nobody. And and there's people like that all around. I forgot one guy that's in the. Hall of Fame, Ora Lee Province. I was telling James about Ora Lee. They live in different parts of the state, so James never knew Ora Lee. But like Ora Province, you know, nobody would have ever known that story. But so James Lawrence is here. Hey, let me say something about James. Clay came to me about that same time and said, "Who who would be the best hunter in Polk County?" And of course, I don't gun hunt, and but I, I knew James would be up there. But I said, "Go ahead and." And call Joe Lyles. I mean, he'll tell you for sure yeah. who the best hunter is. And we kind of suspicioned it was going to be James. But he said, no question, James Lawrence, he's the man. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, that's I think that's how you originally, you went up and oh, knocked yeah. on his door and said, hey, oh, man, yeah. you got a pretty high reference. Yep. Yeah, Joe Lyles, he's the one who said, go, go talk to James. I went and knocked on his door, and we've been best buddies ever since. I remember, right. I, that's right. I remember that day. Yeah. You knock on the door and you took out your hand, introduced yourself, and we went out in the garage and sat down and talked deer stories. Did you know him before then? No. I met him when he knocked on my door. Yeah, I was writing a story about hunting hunting big woods whitetails. To James's left is our star guest who's not been on the Bear Grease podcast at all before. Who's getting smoke in their eyes. Who's getting some smoke <laughs> in his eyes. <laughs> Gerald Brewer. Uh, Gerald Great to great to have you on, man. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Gerald, how old are you? Eighty two. Eighty two years old. Yeah. And you got a he- you got a head full of hair like a <laughs> like a movie star, man. <laughs> no, Gerald, no, don't know about that. <laughs> Gerald, what what kind of work did you do? <clears throat> I was in the auto parts business before I retired. Yeah. I mean, how long did you do that? I did that for 35 years. Auto parts business. Yeah. Small town, Arkansas. Yeah. But you're a lifelong hunter. I am. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us, so we are at your camp. Right. And now don't tell us, don't tell anybody where it's at, but tell us about your camp and kind of the history of this property. We can tell you it's in the mountains. Can we say that? Sure. We've said that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. This, where we're at here is part of a 160 acre homestead that mm. uh, local people homesteaded back in the day. It's a few miles on either in, in either, either direction, any direction, but before you come to more private property. So this is sort of unique that uh, we're, and, yeah. and where we're at here, we are, have two sides of National Forest. Yeah. Good place to hunt. So I, how long have you had this property? I've had this, uh, I was thinking about that last night or this morning, I'm trying to figure it up. I think about 35 years. Okay. Yeah. And then you originally had, you've got a big metal um, metal covering over an area where you backed your camper trailer in for years. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So you had deer camp out here with a camper trailer, but then when did you, when was this cabin built? James built the cabin uh, 2019. It's not, it's not that old. Yeah. But yes, this, uh, where we're sitting at here, sort of typical a lot of our building around here it evolved you know we'd add, yeah. on, add on a little every year yeah and, and uh originally when we when my brother and i started this we didn't we weren't really 
thinking about a cabin. We just wanted a shed to get out of the rain. Then we put a wood stove in and built a shed for our trailer. And then we enclosed all of this with a, a siding. And uh, then in 2019, we built uh, the new cabin here. And uh, then we kept the old one and just took all the walls off. And now we have an outside pavilion yeah. with an outside kitchen and so forth. Well, that's a... It's a beautiful spot, and then the cabin that, and you said it, James Lawrence built this cabin. Yes, right, yeah, and uh, runs off solar. We're off a grid right, out here. Correct, right. And uh, man, James, me and me and uh, Justin were admiring your your trim work inside there. Yeah, really yeah. nice. I enjoyed doing that. Y'all built. Y'all did every part of this, huh? Built everything but the siding, and another guy built put the siding on. Yeah, yeah. and yeah. the roof on. But other than that, yeah. Did it all. Done all. Yep. Did it all. Real proud of it. Yeah. So we've had our bear camp out here the last several years. Three or four years or maybe just the fourth year. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Probably so. Right. Yeah. So we'll come back to Gerald, but to Gerald's left, Gary Newcomb, the believer himself. Yeah. Got my believer hat. Hey, do y'all see see his hat? Yeah. I like that. Yeah. Do y'all know what that means? No. Okay. I don't. It's got a black panther on it. Mm -hmm. So the first... One of the first Berries podcasts, I was interviewing Dad about uh, mountain lions because he'd seen a mountain lion in Arkansas, and uh, I asked him, uh, or he said something about black panthers. And uh, anyway, long story short, he believes in black panthers. Gerald, do you have any mountain lion stories? I saw one uh, on the mountain here behind us. Back, I can't remember how many years it is, probably about 10 years ago, I was turkey hunting right on top of the mountain. And uh, when I first saw it, I thought it was a deer. But then when it started jumping from one rock to another, well, then I knew it was a cat. (laughs) (laughs) But what was uh, ironic about all that, just within days, there was an article in the local paper that some, I'm thinking if I recall, it was some biologist that sent in that if anyone saw any mountain lions, any cougars to, uh, had a phone number hmm. or whatever to, uh, please call that number. Do you call them? Don't recall. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't recall if I did or not. I may have, but I, I really thought that was a little bit so you thought maybe they had seen some or knew about some? Yeah, I, yeah. I, now, I, would you be would you fall into the category of someone that believed that there were mountain lions here before you saw one? Like when you saw it, did it confirm what you already knew, or did it surprise you? It sort of surprised me, but not a great lot because I won't be surprised to see any type of animal out in the wild. I yeah. mean, it, it might surprised me initially but, but, but i guess what i'm getting at is like growing up in these mountains did people believe there were mountain lions out here well when we talk about mountain lion we're talking about what we also call a cougar a cougar i don't think they believe that but now we had panthers the smaller black cats okay yeah <laughs> Really? Yeah, now, here's my man. Yeah. <laughs> I've been <laughs> looking for this guy. You <laughs> found him. Right here, now, brother. He paid now, you tell, me, tell me about that because that's that's what dad's hat is well, all about. Now, why do you – where have you heard that? Tell me the origin of that. James gave a thumbs up too, so he's on board with the that. Black, the black cats, the panthers. Well, where I lived then was uh, down in Montgomery County, 
still in the Ouachita Mountains. But in the uh, late summertime, maybe around August, whatever, when it would be dry, well, uh, for some reason, the cats would come down, or I thought I said the cats, and maybe it was just one, and uh, start their screaming, and uh, it would spook the horses and things like that, you know. Mm. But mm. it would really spook the horses. you never seen one, though? I never have seen one myself, but now people, uh, other people saw them. And, you knew and, and, people that see, yeah, had yeah, seen them. Yeah, and I believed them, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, James, what do you think about, uh, well, number one, have you ever seen a mountain lion, like a tan? Mm-hmm. Have yeah. you really? Yeah. Tell me about that. I'd rather, can I start back with the Panthers first? Okay. <laughs> I live with my grandparents, uh, and we'd go to town once a week, Saturday, which is a gravel, I mean, a paved road now, but it was just dirt road you get over the mountain toward Old Dallas. And on that mountain, Different times we've seen them cross the road. Sometimes there's one, and a lot of times there's two. And they were black, uh, beautiful animals, but it just give you chill bumps to see one. And always now I've just seen them cross the road, you know, head mm. ups, where they're going off the mountain or coming up the mountain. We several times. I was. Um, hey man, I'm looking, hey, these I'm are the best sources. <laughs> these are the best sources I've heard. I mean, no, this, we're going to have to get these guys some believers hats. But yeah. We might need to get them to church, <laughs> get them to repent of their sins. These boys that could be stretching the truth. <laughs> well, I'm the only survivor. My grandmother and my granddad. Uh, but I won't say regular basis, but it. Pretty frequent. So, and it's on Saturday because we always went to town on Saturday, parked at the same spot, that grocery <laughs> shop. We'd come back home on a gravel road over the mountain that's yeah. paved now. Yeah. And we'd see them on top crossing the road several times. So, you would sometime. see regular uh, mountain lions too. Tan ones would cross. No, All Dan, no, I was, shoot, I was grown before I've seen the, the cougar. Really? They always just call these panthers. Yeah. Pretty, pretty, pretty animal. If you yeah. look at it that way, it kind of yeah. give you chill bumps when you see them. Uh, I've seen them cross the roads, the cougars. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was hunting them down the road in Montgomery County, me and my son, and uh, during the rut, doe come by, buck come by, I shot the buck, and then another buck come by. So my boy was feathered down the mountain, so I got got him and brought him back up. And then I was going to moving the bronco around where the access would be easier to get it off i get back up there and he said you missed something what do you mean he said go down there and look at your deer that panther had come up to holler and he said it was just all but crawling sneaking up on that deer and it grabbed, grabbed i mean it done major damage to the deer trying to drag it back down the holler huh uh give anything we'd had a camera or phones in but that's been 20 years ago 30 years ago yeah uh, but I've seen them, um, I've seen them, oh, over them deer hunting, seen them come through. Hmm. And that, a lot of dog hunters back then, and I had them, a cougar to come by with the dogs after Hmm. Really? So you've seen the deer dogs running a mountain lion? Well, the cougar come through and then I could hear the dogs coming and they, they brought it on through. I mean, the dogs obviously chasing it i'll be done um uh, big black no this was a this, cougar just a regular tan yeah big one of course you probably know clay but 
all dogs will not run a cat. Uh-uh. Mm. Just, I mean, like deer dogs, you might, out of four or five, you might have one that would run a cat, but yeah. uh, the rest, some of them will follow. <laughs> yeah. Follow the lead dog, but they don't pursue it very fast. Yeah. Did you grow up hunting deer with dogs, Gerald? Yes. That was the only way we knew. I think that was more or less out of, well, that's the way the, the culture then, and uh, probably out of necessity because there were so few deer that you almost had to have a dog to locate them. When I started hunting, it was probably back in the 1950s, I, but we had two deer seasons then. The first one was the second week in November, started on a Monday, went through a Saturday. You did not hunt on Sunday. Mm. Because it was illegal or because your family wouldn't let you? Well, no, it was illegal. There was not just a, no Sunday no, hunting. No season. See, it goes Monday through Saturday. James, did you ever hunt on Sunday when you weren't supposed to? <laughs> no, Kelly, James. He's thinking. <laughs> That's a loaded question. He said, he said that this did not have to be truthful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gerald asked me beforehand if. No, I never hunted on Sunday. <laughs> <laughs> I have, and I. I oh, Gerald asked. Well, yeah. Wild man. <laughs> but, yeah. But anyway, the. Uh, Back to the hunting with dogs, and that was just a culture, you know. Right. We knew we didn't know any other way to hunt. But I guess I saw my first turkeys in uh, somewhere in the early 1970s. Yeah. Morning. And I had no idea, and it was raining. We were driving around during the deer season, deer hunting, and uh, I didn't really know what they were. And I saw them; they just standing there, you know, in the rain. But anyway, I started turkey hunting, and I started seeing deer. Mm. I thought, you know, a person could deer hunt this way. You don't need dogs, you know. Oh, okay. You, you know, that, just that, sitting around out. Yeah, in the woods. I was sitting there turkey hunting, and I started seeing deer. So anyway, my brother and I hunted together then, and we had started hunting. Uh, our okay, our dogs were getting old, and we decided we're going to. Not have dogs anymore. A lot of work, a lot of trouble. Yeah. If you never own hunting dogs, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a. But anyway, so after we didn't have dogs any longer, we started hunting over in this area here, because this homestead here I'm talking about, part of it had been abandoned. Then there were still some old fields, and you know deer were hanging out in there, and yeah. uh, so we started. We just camp up on top of the mountain, or we had a. Another place up here, pull out, we'd camp in our trailer, you know, and and we'd come down and hunt in this area. Just here. hunt off the ground, right. hunting yeah. terrain features and stuff. Yeah. And, and, and that was just new, huh? That was right. It's new because we had uh, we'd been hunting with dogs all the time. We didn't know, and uh, of course that was a little bit before any type of climbing stands or anything. But on top of the mountain here, there were remains of some. Old wood platforms. They were probably James's. That people people had built. When he hunted on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> he never did say if he did. When he, <laughs> when he Black Panther hunted on Sunday. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's when I started to just uh, stand hunting or still hunting for deer. It was when I started turkey hunting. And, uh, and we never st- looked back. Never looked back. And so what we started doing. After that, my brother and I and those guys that hunted with us, we would uh, 
we'd build ground blinds in the in the little saddles and divides in here, you know, uh, out of just whatever's on the ground, you know. And uh, sometimes we'd build a couple seat, you know, and so we'd use those year after year. Yeah. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. 
go to www.sportdog.com slash bear grease to learn more. I want to talk about uh, two things. I don't know if we can cover it all. Um, I want to tell people about my moose hunt because last the last Bear Grease render, like I've been on every single Bear Grease podcast except for the last one because I was in Alaska and my wife Misty ran the podcast and they told everybody that I was in Alaska moose hunting. So I want to give a, an update, but so much has happened since then. I don't know that we can cover it all because... Me and Justin yesterday had a pretty big adventure in the mountains here in Arkansas that, that ended up with a bear getting a ride out of the woods on the back of a mule. So I want to tell about that, too, and all you guys were involved in that. And Where then, should I start, Dad? And then bears. Bear. Yeah. I yeah. mean, that was phenomenal. Well, why don't you tell us about that? Well, tell us about and tell who Bear is. Bear John yeah, Newcomb, my yeah, son. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's a 16-year-old kid, and... Clay has raised him where he's kind of like a man. I mean, he he drove that truck. Judy couldn't. My wife couldn't believe it. She said, "I can't believe they let let Bear drive that truck with a mule trailer down here by himself." <laughs> and, Several uh, hours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, three it's three hour drive with that truck, you know, and mule. So anyway, he drove down here from Fayetteville, and uh, you know, he he went to a stand in the first morning. Uh, he had a big bear coming in. And, you know, he's in a saddle. Tethered tree saddle. Okay. That's what kind it was. Okay. He's pretty good climbing, using it. Yeah, yeah. And uh, sure enough, I I think so much about when y'all hunted in Oklahoma, and and, and there were two big bears. They eventually ended up being 550, and I'd say a minimum of 650. Two Mm -hmm. bears coming in, and I don't care where you hunted, I mean, they had two or three different locations, best I remember. And the first morning, it seemed like every time those bear would come in and show themselves and turn around and leave. So the big bears, they don't like any hint of human odor. Right. And so bear goes in there, and, of course, he's he climbs up in his tree and this bear comes in 340 pounds field dress. So, you know, weighs 410, 425 big bear. And, uh, the bear comes in, turns around and leaves. Smells him. Can I tell you what, what he did? Oh, I know what he did. Tell us. Well, you, you know, Clay and I have this argument about, Scent control. Did Bear tell you what he did? Oh, I, oh, I know, I know. 100%. Clay, Clay loves scent control. Yeah. So, so anyway, but, but, I, but I, I've got. I, I could. We could have a little conversation about what I think happened too. Okay, but so no, tell your side of the story. So, okay, so he's wearing a believer hat. So, he's a so, scent control yeah. so believer bear, too. So Bear, Bear and I are talking, and I said, Bear, I know. You, I said, you can't tell your dad this. We were sitting out here, I think. Were you here? Uh, Gerald told on you. Gerald said, they were talking yeah, today. They, they, yeah. they said, your dad's not going to prove this. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, I said, okay, bear, I, I, if you really want to kill that bear, and of course, you never know if this is true or not, but I, I believe it. I mean, absolutely, no question. Yeah. That bear was not going to come in without scent control. Well, I- so I, I said, Bear, you come by the house in the morning. He told me what time he could be there. And I, I've got a, a scent lock box where I just keep my main hunting gear. 
and I took that stuff and dried it. And then I went and got some of my scent, scent, scent like the product, the product, like the, the yeah. carbon activated. Yeah. 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 Gotcha. Yeah. The hood. Yep. The whole thing. Yep. Uh, and rubber boots. So I got him two real good pair of rubber boots. I got all my scent stuff out and I got some of my scent control spray. And I said that now, if you're going to do this, you're going to do it right. And this, keep this in mind. I said, <laughs> yeah. This is something you don't do for every hunt. This is something you do maybe once a year, maybe once every two years. But if you got a really big buck, you got a really big bear, it's not going to cost you but about an hour's worth of work. And I said, you walk to that stand in about 100 yards or whatever you feel comfortable with, you, you strip down. I gave him underwear. I said, you strip down <laughs> butt naked, and you take this big old bottle of spray, and you bathe in it. Mm-hmm. And when you walk to your stand, you either walk in your underwear or you put your pants on, but don't put shirts and stuff on. I yeah. gave him two pair of gloves. And you guys out there in radio land can laugh at this, <laughs> but I'm telling you, you're wrong. <laughs> Steve Ranella, you're wrong. <laughs> So anyway, so, uh, he, I asked him later, I said, did you do everything I told you to? He said, I did it almost to the T. Yeah. So I said, when you get to that stand, don't put your tops on and stuff, you know, either at the base of the tree, if it's not too hot, you know I mean? Right. Put it at the base. And I said, when you go up that ladder, don't be using your hands. Use this pair of scent gloves. You go up the stand. And you got your you got your spray in your pocket, mm-hmm. and uh, it was a big bottle, and uh, and I said once you get up there, you put all you spray down again, everywhere, and you take. I got him deodorant. I said you you do your arms, the back of your neck, your sternum, mm-hmm. back of your legs, whatever you you know. There's places, yeah. and I said once you get up there, you just drench yourself again, and then spray your boots. I had him a good pair of lacrosse boots that didn't have the foam on them yeah you know which is that's not a big deal but if you're gonna go this much trouble do yeah, it right right yeah so he had the lacrosse boots and and uh the birdie and so he gets up in the stand sprays down and i said about every five or ten minutes shoot that stuff around and and sure enough that sucker came in and he killed it <laughs> hey and, and you know what those big bear i mean I heard so many stories of y'all having those big bear come in. Yeah. And and when did you kill that 550-pound oh. bear? When you got sent free. 100%. <laughs> but instead of spending $300 on the stuff I gave, I just gave him that stuff. I said, hey, man, you kill that bear, you can just keep all that stuff. But And so that bear that you killed, you did not kill it until... You right. were sent free. And how did you get sent free? You spent about $7,000. <laughs> 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 Not quite that much. No, a sent free blind is what the mm. first time I hunted out of a redneck blind for this big bear we were after. I killed him the first time I hunted. So scent is 100% the limiting factor on big bears. So I, I've got nothing to refute. But, you know, I said, now look, bear, if that wind, even what you're doing, if if that bear... If you got the wind to your back and it's blowing to that bear, you're probably still going to get detected. But if that 
you know, if the wind is anywhere, you know, thermals going up, if there's no wind at all, that bear will come right under your stand. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. Man, it, my world is just spinning backwards today between the Black Panthers, <laughs> scent control, and I'm just ready to just be like, okay. Well, yeah, Clay, when we were in Canada, Clay was barking about scent control and, you know, uh, yesterday we were like drown rats in that blind because every 10, 15 minutes he'd be like, can I spray you? Can I spray <laughs> yeah. you? Yeah. I was hoping you were doing that. I wanted to tell you take some spray with well, you. Well, we, we did, and it. It, uh, you know, we were hiking in a mile and a half in uphill. 93 degrees. In ni- so, I mean, we were covered in yeah. sweat. And yeah. it was just, I just didn't know how to not do that. But once we got in there, we had some scent, scent shield spray. And, I mean, we just bathed our scent. We had scent-free wipes that we wiped down. That, you know, that helped. And it, you know, the, we we still had bears smelling us. But, well, and, and I can, just a little bit more about Bear's Bear, and then we'll tell our story. But so Bear kills this big bear, you know, probably close to 400 pounds. Actually, I, mean, I don't want to take away weight from Bear's Bear, but they say that a field-dressed bear, his guts only weigh about 13% of his field-dressed weight. Oh, really? Weight, I was, we're thinking is, 20 was low. Well, I know. It seems low. And I've never really verified it with, like, that number, just everybody says it and nobody verifies. I mean, maybe some guy who didn't know is the one that said that. I want to hear a real bear biologist say, I have weighed mm-hmm. 180 different bears and they all come into the 13% range. I've never heard that. Just that's what people repeat. That'd be 40 pounds, yeah, roughly. So, yeah. So it, it's usually the guts are potentially a lot less than what you might think. And but, his bear, by the way, had very little fat, right, James? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it wasn't a fat bear. <clears throat> this bear was lean and mean. I mean, if he had had, what, two or three inches of fat off, oh, yeah. you know, he, he would have been a really, really been. monster. So, you know, he shot this bear and... Killed it with his bow. It killed it with his bow, and I mean, it, it did the moan, and it just went, what, 30 five yards probably maybe 30 probably 30 and uh so and this is something that i've come to believe on the bear moan is that you know you hear guys well yeah mine didn't moan you know well what i've noticed is if you kill that bear on the spot he's dead he's running dead he's gonna moan so if you if you get a marginal shot where the bear's gonna die but he's going to run a hundred yards. I mean, he might bear moan out there as he's dying, but you're not going to hear it. Yeah. But these bear that you've killed that I've been around and bears bear. And when I hear guys tell stories, this one you killed yesterday, it did a little moan, didn't it? Mm-hmm. But Small. it fell, fell real quick. Yeah. And so you got two 74 year old guys out there helping bear, get that bear out of the woods. Yeah. And, uh, I don't know what James thought. You know, I, I was thinking James would he'd have a better way of doing it. But wh- I had a 100-foot rope, and you had 20, 30 foot of strap in there. And we just backed the truck in as close as we could, tied it on it, and pulled that bear out. And, uh, you know, it, it, How'd y'all get it in the truck? How'd we do what? Get oh, James had us back up where the tailgate was almost flat with the side oh, of the okay. hill. Just kind of rolled it in? Yeah. Boy, yeah. they're hard to move when they're that big. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, <laughs> we had bear too. I mean, little bear man, that sucker. He's, that was he, a circus. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Well, we got him just right up to the truck, and he fell out. We actually exactly. yeah, okay. I gotta say, Brent Reeves claims he claims that he was totally out of the loop on because Brent was over there, and he he showed me the text messages he had with Bear about how anyway Brent wasn't there. So yeah, I mean, we can't count on Brent. <laughs> Brent blamed Brent blamed the communication skills of the Newcombs on uh, him not being there. He was, and, uh, I, since Brent isn't here, uh, I will uh, say there's a few other ideas that I had about that. I called him, talked to him, and he said, "I ain't coming up there." Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, not really. No, he had a good. He it was just miscommunication, and there was. Brent was out of cell range, and we were, in, or y'all were in. I was in Alaska. What was wild is that I am on my in reach in Alaska on trying to navigate flying out, and people are tech Misty saying, "Have you heard from Bear?" And I'm like, "No." And Brent, I think Brent even texted me. I mean, I'm right in the middle of it, man, <laughs> and I'm telling the whole meat eater crew. What's going on? All week while we were in Alaska, I was talking about, you know, that I was missing bear hunting, and I was talking to him about my bear pit, and uh, oh, everybody was rooting for bear. I, Steve Ranella and Sam Bates and Dirt Myth, my cameraman. I mean, they were like getting play by plays. He's in the stand. Winds out of the east. You know, bears. <laughs> bears messaging me from his cell phone to my in reach in Alaska, and uh, oh, I couldn't hardly moose hunt for. And and I it, it it I told Misty I said it stressed me out when he killed it because I knew that Dad and James were the only ones there to help him get it out. <laughs> I mean, I was I was worried about you guys, man. You know, if that if that bear had gone a hundred yards, two hundred yards, I mean, I guess you would just quartered it up. And well, hey, that's what I was gonna say. I you know, as good as Bear is at skinning stuff, I told him he should have just quartered it up right there in the spot. That's what I would have done, rather than. Because it just increases the work so much, you know, to move them. I'd have just quartered him up. But we yeah, there's pretty good. <clears throat> we had to tie it to a tree just to get it. Yeah. Field dress it. Steep. Yeah, get his legs up. Steep, huh? Oh, it was steep. Yeah. It was steep. Yeah, yeah we tried. He tried to hold it. Finally, we just tied it to a tree to field dress it. <laughs> yeah. And that took a lot of weight off of it. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was it was quite the ordeal, and I I really was proud of Bear. He Bear is not a man of many words, humble kid. And uh, when I was going to Alaska, my Alaska trip overlapped the intense time period before opening day when you were baiting bears. And and anybody that's never baited bears, welcome to not being in the know of how much work goes into. The most work of anything I do is baiting bears. You know, people think, oh, baiting bears is for lazy guys that don't want to get out in the woods. Ha, ha, ha. Yeah. The most work I do is baiting yeah. bears. Yeah. And so I wasn't going to be here for most of it. And so Bear, he's going to school during the week. But there were two Saturdays that I said, Bear, I need you to go bait my bears. And the place I'm baiting, we can't drive into it. There's no vehicular access, and so you got to take the mules, and we haul bait in on the mules. And it, it is an expedition to leave where we live, drive there. I mean, it's an all-day deal. 
you got to catch mules. You got to pack the right tack. You got to pack the right bear bait. You got to know how to handle those mules and not hurt yourself. I mean, there's just a, you got to drive into the access point. I mean, you're in and out of four wheel drive and crossing creeks and navigating rough terrain and, and, uh, just in, even in the truck hauling a trailer. And, uh, so I knew bear could do it. And, uh, he took one of his buddies one, one Saturday and, uh, and they went in there and took in probably 500 pounds of bait on those mules and baited it. He said they were in there like 12 minutes. You know, I said, I told, I I gave him real specifics. I said, I don't want you in there in the morning. I don't want you in there in the afternoon. I want you in there between 11 and one o'clock. So that means you're going to have to leave our house at six o'clock in the morning. You know, like I really gave him some specifics and he did it. And then the next time he went in by himself, the next Saturday, he didn't have help because it was the day he was hunting and he went in there by himself. So anyway, I was real proud of him. He did good. You know, I think about me being that age, I, I would be telling my grandfather, I'm, man, I drove that stinking truck down with those mules. I passed cars, you know, I'd be, I'd be bragging about it. He never said a word. It was no big deal, man. He just came down here and did what he had to do, and it's pretty, it's pretty cool, really. Yeah. Cool kid. Mm-hmm. Well, I was proud of him just for executing and, and getting a good shot on the bear. You know, that's what I, I was coaching him on inReach. I was saying, don't take anything but a broadside shot of a standing bear. Don't get too high. You know, I didn't want him to get up 25 feet and have a real sharp shot angle. He was wanting to get back like 25 yards from the bait, and I told him that's too far. I said, you don't want to take a 25-yard shot. Get into about 18 yards. Get up about 18 feet. And, uh, you know, he could have got up higher for scent. But, boy, when you start getting a super steep shot angle, you just – it's tough. And so – he did everything right. You know, the the bear bait was where he had some limbs in the way. So he positioned some of that bait where the bear would move just a little out so he'd have a shot. Mm. And that bear walked up exactly where he wanted it to and stuck one arm in the bait barrel, which opened up his vital cavity. And, man, he just stuck that broadhead. Slick trick right right now, in there in the heart. Gerald, you told me something you heard Bear do. Right. Which was it sixteen? Yeah. Okay. I thought this was uh rather material of him. He mentioned to your dad when they were having this conversation here about the scent control and everything. And uh okay, this was the first evening he was there hunting and he saw the bear but he thought it scented him and it sort of veered away but he left something either in the tree or in his stand and i assumed it was a piece of clothing Mm -hmm. because he said the bear would uh on the camera it was showing he was in there uh the bear was in there three or four hours every night yeah so he left that so that the bear would get used to his scent I'm yeah. assuming that. Yeah. I, I thought that was real smart of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's good. Well, you just blew my scent control deal. Forget it, guys. <laughs> <laughs> that's what did it, yeah. yeah. I was going to say this. I, yeah. I, I was waiting you got through. <laughs> <laughs> One or the other, I don't know. But I've, uh, I, I've always thought what he did was very smart, and I, 
thought about, uh, you know, I've baited bears here at my place, and you, uh, and I know y'all have done this too. I would, I'd meet them coming back, you know. They would be heading up there. I don't know if they're smelling me, if they heard me or what, you know. But yeah. uh, they got used to my presence there somewhat, yeah. I think. Yeah, they can sometimes. Yeah. Well, uh, what should we do here, Justin? Should we talk about the moose or our bear? That's up to you. Well, what, what's in your heart, Justin? You're my cameraman. Uh, <laughs> well, I could tell the moose story. Yeah. Because this would be number six, five yeah, or so six. Every person. <laughs> so Justin got to Arkansas within an hour of me coming back to Arkansas from Alaska. So basically I went from that trip to this one. And so every so Justin's been with me ever since I got home with Alaska, like every minute of every mm-hmm. day, basically. And every time I come to somebody new, I got to tell them the Alaska story. So I told Misty and the kids. He heard me tell Dad. You heard me tell uh, James. James. So anyway, you've heard the story many times. Yeah, it's a good one. I think yeah. you should go with that one. Go with Alaska. Yeah. Well, so when I. We left for Alaska on September the 7th, and I went with Steve Ranella, and we filmed an episode of Meat Eater, so everybody will be able to watch this at some point on on Meat Eater Season 11. It's undisclosed where it's going to be. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. It's kind of like the Black Panther. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. So much mystique around this. So what we did, what we did was what they call a ridge hunt, which it's a fly-in camp. Where we, and it was a do-it-yourself hunt, so we were with what they call a transporter. So there was no guide, no outfitter, but basically you hire bush planes to take you into a spot. And uh, and kind of the what you know is that they're taking you into a spot that's going to be decent and have moose. But they don't tell you anything. They they legally can't. They just drop you off. And, uh, you know, they don't, they don't say, Hey, you should camp over there and the moose are going to come from here. You know, it's, 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 uh, do it yourself. It's, it's called a ridge hunt because it's the area we were in was rolling hills with the highest mountains in the area being about four forty four hundred feet or so and the river bottoms being about 3000. Now, off in the distance, you know, 60 miles away, you could see white-capped mountains, big, big Alaskan mountains. But basically, these airplanes can land in certain areas on these ridges. They can't land down in the tundra. And the, the area consists of big spruce thickets, which would just be big green patches of woods, and then willow thickets, which are going to be smaller trees, but thick, super thick and then there's tundra. So, I mean, that's a that's a general description of the type of terrain. You're either going to have spruce, willow and aspen, or tundra. And the tundra can have blueberries, cranberries, and crowberries in it, a lot of it. You wouldn't believe the amount of blueberries, cranberries that, that were, I mean, everywhere. We all were covered in stains of berries in just random places. Just because, you know, you sit on the ground everywhere you go. So, I mean, you you just sit on blueberries. You, everybody had blueberry stains on their knees. And 
I had a blueberry blueberry stains on my backpack where I leaned down on the ground. Um, we ate black blueberries the whole time, you know. But but when they drop you in these camps, basically when you're moose hunting, you're limited to how far you can go after a moose based upon how easily you can get it back to your camp because this thing is going to weigh between you know a thousand and fifteen hundred pounds. Um, and so it's an incredible amount of work to get the meat back to the airstrip because that's where you got to get it. So basically it's not like elk hunting. When you elk hunt, you might walk 15 miles and you're looking for one and an elk is just enough smaller that, you know, you might have a big heavy pack out, but you can pretty much get one out a couple of guys of about anywhere. Um, a moose is just enough bigger than an elk that most moose hunters would say they're not going to shoot a moose much past a mile beyond their camp. So you're out in this huge wilderness and you can't go to a lot of moose that you can see because you're, you're the best spot that we had for glassing. So you have your camp tucked away somewhere where it's secluded and we were kind of out of the wind behind a little bluff. And we would walk out every day from our camp and go to one of two glassing spots. One of the glassing spots was about a mile from our camp, but you could see it from our camp. It was a big gravelly knob about a mile away through open tundra. It looked like you could just walk over there in 10 minutes, but it was it took forever <laughs> to get there. The other one was just over the ridge. And from these glassing spots, you could see for miles. And I, I mean that. Uh, you could you could see across this river. We were overlooking a river that was 1.9 miles away. And you could see all the mountains clear as a bell on the other side of the river. And you could glass them. You know, we had good optics, you know, spotting scopes and binos on tripods. And so you just sat there for hours every day, literally all day, <laughs> and just glass. And you just you just learn every nuance of the land. We saw uh, the first night we were there, we saw a pack of 14 black wolves mm. across the river. Really? Jet black. Oh, wow. All 14 of them. Wow. I, I'd ask, I asked up? Steve uh. if he'd ever seen anything. I mean, it was the first night we were there. It was the first animals that we saw. Uh, and Steve was on the other side of the mountain, and I was glassing and saw them. And I said, wolves. And there were five of them. And I was like, one, two, three, four, five black wolves. Wow. Can't believe it. And they were going through open tundra and they just kept coming. Just more, 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 more. Finally, there were 14 in a line. Every one of them looked the exact same. And uh, Steve came over and looked at them. And Steve has a vast amount of experience in Alaska and the West and wolf country. And I asked him if he'd ever seen anything like that. And he said, no. He said he's seen... You know, usually you see three or five. You know, five would be pretty decent size. But And we saw them multiple times. And they played like German shepherds out in that tundra. They'd just wrestle <laughs> and wag their tails and fight. Wow. And then you'd, you'd, you'd see one sit down on his haunches and throw his head back and howl. And then about five seconds later, you'd hear, you hear him howl, and you'd be watching him. I mean, it's neat. 
Really? <laughs> we watched them for, we saw them at least three different times. And they stayed right in that area. Yeah. But, uh, so, back to moose. When you're moose hunting, you're hunting the rut. You're hunting the moose rut. And basically, you're trying to call these moose to you. And when, it's just like any, it's just like turkey hunting. It's it, it, In a lot of ways, it, it, and just like the elk hunters say, and I'm not a big, I'm not a good elk hunter. But you're hoping that the moose are doing what they're, supposed to be doing and responding to calls and sometimes they do and sometimes they don't and basically during our time there the moose weren't responding to calls that good and uh the moose weren't moving around we kind of had these local moose that we were watching that just kind of were living there and they were there when we got there and what when you know it's really good is when every day you wake up and there's new moose in your area or you see a moose two miles away that's moving, and he just, they're, you know, they're just on the prowl. And, and we did not see that until the last day. Basically, we messed around with these local moose that didn't want to come to our calls for, for eight days. And we, uh, it was so cool because you'd be looking at a moose like 1.2 miles away, one, one of our best spots where we watched what I believed was a 60-inch moose. Watched him for five days, but couldn't, didn't want to move in on him because we thought we could call him to us. You would, you'd be looking at him, and you would call, moose call, just with your mouth. You know, just loud. And he'd be looking a different way. And then a few seconds afterwards, he'd, you know, he'd, he'd look at you. And just, he'd, you know, acknowledge you and he could hear you from that far, which is pretty wild. But cool. uh, finally, on the last day, day number nine, we woke up and there were, we saw several moose. We tried to work some moose. Nothing happened. And we had to leave the next day. We had to leave the next day. Um, oh, we're getting some more fire here, more wood on the fire. We, the, the airplanes were coming at seven 30 the next day. This is day number nine. We are at, at noon on day number nine. We were basically done. We had to be done. And, uh, we, we basically shot the final scene of the video where, Steve and I were frustrated and just kind of like, man, we tried, we had all this. And there were a couple of stalks that were, I almost killed one on day four. Steve had a couple of close calls, but nothing ever happened. And so we, we shot the ending scene of the film. And I mean, we're just bummed <laughs> that we had, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a strange feeling i mean you guys know it when you invest that much time and energy i mean you can't just go to alaska and be gone five days i mean this is like a 13 day trip which is the biggest commitment of my year and uh and you know i mean i didn't really expect to kill a moose so it's not like i was disappointed in that sense but the sense of you just worked so hard and you don't really have much to show for it other than just an experience which is good. I mean, we're all used to that and okay with that. 
but it's still kind of a bummer. Mm-hmm. Well, that afternoon, uh, one of the producers of the show said, hey, we really can't kill a moose. Like, we're done because if we killed one, we don't have time to get it out before we got to leave. And Steve looked at, his name is Chester, my friend Chester. Steve looked at Chester with kind of a grimace and said, we'll figure that out if it happens. <laughs> and uh, after the morning hunt and we're done, uh, the whole crew's sitting in a tent with a wood stove in it, just talking about, you know, how we're going to go home without a moose. And Steve walked in at 416 and said, Clay, I'm going to walk up to the porcupine. And we'd named the head of this big holla porcupine because they'd seen a porcupine there, of all things. And he, wa- he wasn't saying, Clay, come with me, cameramen, come with me. He was just going to go on a walk. And I said, I'll go with you, Steve. And so I jump up. And so here's our two hunters walking out. And we weren't, like Steve wasn't even going to tell the cameramen to come. But because they're good guys, Dirt Myth, his name's his name's Garrett Smith, but he goes by Dirt, Dirt. Myth. Dirt Myth is his name. Um, <laughs> Dirt goes, well, I'll come. And they everybody goes, you gonna bring a camera? And he's like, ah, I guess I might as well. And then so when he did that, Lauren, the other cameraman who's a great guy, said, well, I, I'll go too. You gonna bring a camera? Ah, I guess I will. And we had unloaded our packs and took all our gear out that we needed to process moose. We didn't have bags. We didn't didn't have, you know, some of the guys didn't have headlamps. We didn't have, I mean, we were just preparing to go. But we took our rifles and cameras and went to the porcupine. How far is that? Probably a half mile Hmm. from where we were. And uh, we got up and sat on porcupine. And glassed and glassed and glassed. And we had not seen a single bull moose and porcupine in nine days. So I, I, why Steve wanted to go there, I don't know. You know, he just probably because we we hadn't been there in a day or two. Well, we're sitting there and Dirt Myth goes, what is that way out there? And we look across the tundra probably four miles way out in the river flats and we see a big black object moving. You could see it. I I actually don't know if you could see it with your naked eye, but I put the binos up and it it looked like a it looked like an Argo. Steve Ranella pulled his binos up and said, That's an Argo. <laughs> That's not a moose. And then I said, No, I think I see horns on it. And Lauren said, no, that's the cowboy hat of the driver. <laughs> and uh, and when, you, when he said it, you looked at it, you're like, it kind of does look like a Argo with a man wearing a cowboy hat in the front. <laughs> anyway, Steve pulls out the spotting scope, and sure enough, it's a big bull moose just hooking it across the tundra. And Steve goes, we could call that bull moose in if he was over here close. It was the first time we'd seen a cruising bull. So that, that was the indicator yeah. Like it was the first time we just saw one just plowing across the tundra looking for a cow. <laughs> that was fun to see, but way out of play. I mean, just so the might rut, as well have been on a different planet. The rut just started when y'all were fixing to yeah. leave. Yeah. Basically. Sounds that way. That's, well, not five minutes after we saw the Argo bull, one of the cameramen sees a bull directly below us, like within play, like eight, 900 yards away. 
eight if you're within 800 yards of a moose out there you're it's like being within 30 yards of a deer here i mean like 800 yards is like wow we're close to that thing big country well we see a moose and look at it and it's a small moose and a legal moose has to be 50 inches wide or have four brow tines this bull clearly was not legal but it was cool that we saw a bull there's a bull we watched him and we called to him didn't acknowledge us but the bull just kind of disappears well not three minutes later after that i spotted a single paddle of a bull 1247 yards away just sticking up out of a spruce thicket and i said man there's a bull right there we all look at it steve goes man that's a big one that's a legal one we call at it and rake but you take a stick and, and steve had a an oil can like a plastic <laughs> oil bottle like from walmart yeah cut the butt of it out stuck a stick into the the spout mm-hmm. taped it and had a little handheld and if you can imagine an open-ended plastic oil can raking it up and down trees sounds incredible mm-hmm. and uh he he started raking and i started calling and that we saw that bull one time acknowledge that it heard our call but disappeared well steve looks at me we've got two hours of daylight left the planes are coming at seven thirty a.m and uh and and, and basically I, I don't remember exactly who said what but basically we were like it's the last day of season. Let's go. And so we just bailed off the mountain going to them. And, man, when you bail off a mountain over there, it's a commitment. I, I'll be Honestly, I was, the whole time I was thinking, every step we're taking down this mountain, we're going to have to walk back up. <laughs> yeah. And we were moving fast. And we were just plowing down the mountain. And we gained about 300 yards. And so now we're about 900 yards from where we saw the moose. And... Steve climbs up a dead spruce tree about 12, 13 feet and is glassing over the willows trying to see if this bull's coming and he can't see it. And we sat there for 10, 15 minutes, call, rake, and we think we're going to be able to see this bull if he's coming. We see nothing. And so after 15 minutes, we look at each other just with our hands up and just go, well, I guess... I guess he's just like all the other bulls and just isn't going to come. And directly, we heard a, a br- uh, the brush cracking about 100 yards to our left. I mean, like big stuff breaking. And uh, all of us were like, there's a bull coming, and he's right here. So Steve and I kneel down behind a tree or behind a fallen log, and about the time we get knelt down, we can see the we can see the bushes swaying because these bulls, huge animals, big horns coming through these willow thickets, thick. I mean, they're just pushing over brush, intentionally making noise. And he's out there about 100 yards, and we start seeing the trees move. And then you start seeing flashes of horn. And, I mean, he's coming. And uh, we assume it's the big bull that we just saw. And... Um, as soon as it kind of comes into view, we see that it's a little moose. It's like that 30-inch moose that we probably saw at the beginning. And it comes in to 19 yards. 
and just stares at us, <laughs> and it's still kind of behind the bushes. And we're excited to have a moose that close because it's the closest we'd been to one all week, for the most part, a bull. But we're also kind of bummed because it's not legal. And so Steve and I are sitting there side by side. And um, and then directly, we hear the brush cracking beyond the bull that's standing still right in front of us. And, you know, it took a minute to figure out what was going on. And somebody said, there's another one. And we go, oh, man, you're right. Look, I see, I see the trees moving. Oh, wow, get ready. And we know this one's the big one. Steve Rinella had told me, I mean, Steve has been on multiple moose hunts, successful moose hunts, and has never killed a great big moose because he's always letting somebody else shoot. I mean, that's not always the story, but it, and he has killed a moose before, but not a great big one. And uh, like, there's multiple meat eater episodes where someone else shoots, you know. And uh, so on this hunt, our agreement, was that he, if a big one came in, he was going to get to shoot it. And, and I, I mean, he told me that from the beginning, and I was like, perfect, love it, yes. I'm glad to go and be second shooter. I want you to kill Big Moose, Steve. And so this big one's coming. We know it's legal. We know it's big. And just to clarify, because both of us are sitting there with guns, and one time before in the hunt, he had said, Clay, you shoot, when we thought something might pan out. So just to clarify, I said, Steve, you're shooting the bull. I'll back you up. And I mean, this this bull is is coming. I mean, like we can we're now seeing him. He's getting closer. And he looks at me and he says, No, you shoot. And I go, This is all on camera, so you'll be able to see it at some point. And and I said, uh, I said, No, Steve, that's a big bull. You shoot the bull. And now the thing is like probably forty yards coming. And and he goes, <laughs> I, I, I'll never forget it. I mean, it was, it was like he was mad at me. He said, Clay, get out there and kill that bull. I mean, he, he stuck his <laughs> finger up and just, just I mean, <laughs> something had to happen. Somebody had to dictate what was going to happen. And so, I mean, the bull's right there. I wasn't going to argue a second time. And so I, I said, okay. And there was a there was a dead spruce that had fallen over about five six feet in front of me that had a big fork. The roots made the perfect fork, and so the bull couldn't see me, but I, I needed to be a little bit more out in the open. So I just snuck out and knelt behind this big root ball and laid my gun right in that fork. It was just perfect, and man, that sucker showed up about the time that I got my gun up, and uh, it it I can't describe to you what it what it's like to see an animal that big that close pushing over willows grunting moving his head side to side i mean really it was like a dinosaur it's like a stegosaurus i mean big old tines (laughs) coming out off the front of his head and uh it was thick though even though he was 19 yards it was super thick (laughs) and at first i thought he might come into a little opening and I let him pass when I could have shot because there were some sticks. And then I started looking the way he was going and was like, man, I'm going to have to shoot through some stuff to kill this moose. But I'm carrying a 300 Wind Mag Weatherby. I know I got a lot of gun. And basically, the next time he came into an opening, I mean, I just shot through a bunch of twigs about as big as your fingers at 19 yards. Boom. 
and I hit him just right behind his shoulder and he went down on the back end and kind of spun towards us and I shot him again and he just went down right there. When he hit the ground, the earth quaked. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> and, uh, I bet. And man, it, it, it was neat. It, it was neat because Steve, uh, let me shoot. Like I really, it wasn't one of those deals where it was like, somebody's like you shoot and they're like oh no you shoot and then but you really you want to <laughs> shoot i literally i wanted I, I it wasn't like that i really wanted steve to shoot and i was going to be thrilled just to be there when it happened you know and so that was pretty neat the way that all went down and and so we shot it and then we had uh we thought we were a long ways from the airstrip but we pull out our onyx and do a line distance on the onyx and we're 800 yards from the airstrip, mm. which is half a mile. So, I mean, it really wasn't that far. Did the uh, small bull, now did he leave when he heard, heard the big one coming? He, they were standing side by side. Really? really? Yep. I, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Hmm. Hey, uh, standing side by side. I would like to say that uh, my I've always liked Steve. You can tell he's a quality guy, but. That just put the icing on the cake. I mean, uh, he probably got a real kick out of doing that, but I think it just shows what kind of guy you're working for. Yeah. Uh, and, and one other thing that uh, I would like to, people that don't know about moose hunting, I was shocked to hear you say that you just don't go, even you, you got this mile perimeter, you don't go out in there because once you go out there, they'll never come back in there for two or three days. Yeah. I mean, you, you take a position and keep it. Yeah. So when you guys dropped off that mountain, if you'd had another day to go back, they would, they would have vacated that place. Wouldn't they? That's the principle. The principle is you try to be, have as low impact as, as, as be as low impact as possible. And just hunker down. The guys that are real good at that ridge hunting that have done it year after year after year. Like, for instance, we talked to a guy at the airport before we left that had hunted the same ridge for 11 years. And they call their ridge um, the prison because they they don't let you go on walks. They There's one place that they call from and they go nowhere else other than from their camp to the place they call back and forth. Like they're just trying to, hmm. you're just trying to be in this tight little world, you know? And, um, yeah, cause you can, you go beating around and you blow your moose out. Well, one other thing I thought was interesting at one point when it looked like there was not going to be any success, you guys took off after a moose and violated that principle. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, there's no set in concrete deals i mean i right. understand that but yeah a couple a couple of times we it towards later in the week we when they wouldn't respond because the only way that works is if they're responding to your calls and basically they say if you stay there for 10 days eventually they're going to respond and uh but you know about day five six we were like man we got to make something happen because we we're watching bulls out there further that we felt like we could stalk and every single time you left your camp or your little area, excuse me, every time you left your little area, you were 
gravely disappointed at how difficult it is to stalk them because you're you're up on a ridge looking down into this stuff and you think you're going to be able to see these moose or you you feel like it's low bushes and stuff and you get in there and it's 14 foot willows <laughs> and it looked like it was four foot willows i mean it, and and just over and over we would go oh well that that doesn't look too bad and you'd get down there and it would just be miserable alaska's a pretty miserable place <laughs> yeah uh, one other <laughs> one real. other thing that, on the ground on foot one other thing that i found very interesting is when you're a successful hunter and i feel like you guys will agree with this it's not your skills quite as much is your ability to just stay with it, you know, just to be out there. And and I've noticed stories right, I right. hear Clay tell how, you know, I went the extra mile. I did, you know, I just did stuff that just most people wouldn't want to fool with. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But Renella, after nine days, I mean, you were whipped. Yep. Whipped down to nothing. Yep. And Renella goes, let's go. Or, you know, I'm going. Yep. I mean, that was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. Pretty yep. stinking impressive. Yep. So, anyway. Yeah, I, I told Dad, uh, I mean, I, I it wasn't my idea to go up there. I, I was I was good with the hunt being over, <laughs> which, you know, usually I'm not. I mean, yeah. uh, I really was whipped down. And so I, I owe that, Steve, that bull to Steve in more ways than one, just even that we went up there. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame. And we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are really good, really high quality. The Aura Frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR, B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Whitetail Institute launched the food plot revolution in 1988 with a concentration on research and real-world testing of forage products specifically for whitetail deer. Whitetail Institute's research and development team of agronomy experts provide effective, personalized service. I've been using Imperial Whitetail Clover for a long time in a food plot back behind my house. In 2007, I killed the biggest buck of my life over an Imperial Whitetail Clover small quarter-acre food plot. Imperial Whitetail Clover is the only clover scientifically developed through years of selective breeding. Clover Extreme Genetic Stability provides extreme cold tolerance, disease, and drought tolerance. It really does. Clover is coated with Whitetail Institute's Rain Bond, a 
polymer coating added for enhanced seedling survivability. They have an exclusive offer for Bear Grease listeners, 15% off Imperial Clover when you use the code BEAR at whitetailinstitute.com. That's whitetailinstitute.com and use code BEAR for 15% off. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. Born in 2003 in Knoxville, Tennessee, Sport Dog was forged by a passionate group of hunters and dog trainers who intimately understood the challenges of the field and the special connection between hunters and their dogs. The people at Sport Dog know that having a well-trained hunting dog is more than just having a reliable partner. It's a commitment to their safety and unlocking their full potential. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Trust Sport Dog, where innovation meets passion, to elevate your hunting experience and strengthen the bond with your local companion. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me to track my squirrel dogs and my one old coon dog that's not very good. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. I know you mentioned it, but I, I just had never comprehend, comprehended the idea that if you venture out too far from camp, you just won't get the meat back. Right. That's just mind blowing. Like you said with elk, you can get you can head back in and pull all that meat out, but the fact that you might get too far from camp that you can't get all that meat back even before, you know, it spoils or whatever. But yeah, that's it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was an incredible experience. We saw one black bear, uh grizzly and a sow cub, just one there was bear scat all over the mountain where we were at, but never had any grizzlies close to us. Really? Yeah. When we killed that moose, we started a big fire right beside it. And uh and and we had, you know, we had a camera crew and we had everybody there, so we were making a lot of noise, but the whole time we were skinning it in the dark, we were hooping and hollering. I mean, just everybody if somebody hadn't hollered in two or three minutes, somebody would just woo. Just, yeah. you know, just hooping, hollering. Y'all were scared, man. <laughs> scared to death. <laughs> scared boys. Yeah. So. Uh, hey, hey, one other thing. I, I, I don't want to hog the show here, but I found it interesting, especially as a dad, that when you get on this plane, Gerald, they go, hey, you got your uh, parachute with you? <laughs> I mean, it's not really a parachute, but they want to make sure you got a sleeping bag, food, way to make fire, because yeah. the chances of you crashing, I mean, there is a chance that that little plane's going to have to land on top of a tree. Every time you get right. in one of those planes, yeah, you have to have with you everything you'd need to survive. And, and so it was kind of interesting because, like, in our situation, there were food bags that that's where all our food was. Well, they flew me in and they said, do you have food? And I was like, no, it's in the food bag. And they were like, well, get, you need some food because do, do you have a sleeping bag? Do you have a shelter? So basically everywhere you go, 
there's a chance that you're going to get dropped off and not be picked up on the way out. I was the last one on the ridge, just the way it laid out. Like they flew out the cameraman, flew out Steve, flew out everybody. And they can only fly people out one by one, even though there were multiple super cubs. And when they left me, I was the only one on the airstrip and I made sure I had a gun, yeah, some food. Right. Just because right. they might fly back to town and then a storm roll in yeah. for three days. Yeah. And cover that mountain, and they can't come get you. Weather's a major deal. Hmm. I mean, the first day we almost didn't get to even hunt because uh, they couldn't fly us into our ridge because it was covered in fog. And that can happen in a matter of 30 minutes. It can go from a bluebird day to socked in for three days. And so, like, when they left me, it was like, you good? And I'm like, yep, I'm good. And, you know. There's a chance they may not come back for you. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, but by the, the day we left, it was beautiful weather, so it was not an issue. But I did tell them not to forget me. I said, y'all, y'all aren't going to forget me when y'all get back over there, are you? <laughs> no, we'll remember you. Um, there was a story, though. When when they came and picked me up, they took us to a to a a like a middle like a middle ground airstrip. So there was a bigger airstrip out in the wilderness that they flew the Super Cubs to, and then we got on a Cessna and flew back. While we were waiting on our Cessna, my Super Cub pilot um, told us a story of a guy that was not with this company. It was another transport company. Basically, a guy, they couldn't pick him up because of weather, and he got killed by a grizzly bear Really, while he was waiting on the airstrip. He, they couldn't pick him up for two days. The guy was like sleeping in trees and basically was running from this grizzly bear for two days while oh they couldn't gosh. pick him up. Dang. He's no commuting. He's commuting. I don't know the story. I, I have no idea. But the guy got killed, and the company that he had contracted to transport him actually lost their license. Th- this is the story I heard. I'm not mentioning any names. I don't know. It was not. Anyone I know of. It's kind of like the Black Panther these guys are talking about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Questionable. Oh, that stuff's mm-hmm. really serious. No, no, I, I, it happened. But I'm just saying, I, I don't yeah. want to. Yeah. Well, but it happened two years ago. Holy cow. Yeah. So, you know, stuff happens. But Wow. Well, <laughs> that's my moose story. We didn't even get to our bear story. Long story short, we killed a bear last night at three yards with a stone point. Three yards? <laughs> Was that three yards or three feet? It was this far, Gerald. One, two, probably three yards. Two and a half. Mm-hmm. From about here to that red chair. Two and a half <laughs> yards. Yep. So did we'll he, tell you that story another time. Did he just happen to. Was that his normal route? Well. Coming in? So we were. We were we were in our bear pit. I I made a ground blind. Have you seen a picture of it, Gerald? You no, hadn't. I've heard other people talk <laughs> about it. Basically, we dug a pit. It's about three and a half feet deep in the back. It's got a wooden uh, roof covered in dirt and leaves. We thought it might help with our scent. I needed to get close because I was hunting with a stone point, a traditional bow. The whole idea of the pit was to have a very close shot for penetration, 
for getting a low entry wound. I didn't want to be shooting out of a tree and for accuracy. I just wanted to be close. I, I, so it was really an issue of efficacy building this blind and getting that close. I just didn't want to miss. I wanted the arrow to do what it was supposed to do. We're making a film. It's going to be on Meteor. We filmed it. Uh, and I used a, a specific style of stone point that hadn't been used in about 10,000 years. Uh, this, and, uh, uh, your traditional bow, that's just a recurve. It, the, the traditional bow I was using is a hybrid recurve. Okay. Uh, excuse me, hybrid longbow. The Timber oh. Ghost hybrid longbow. Okay. Called a smoke okay. for anybody interested. I, okay. I'll post some pictures of it on my social media. The bow was nothing, uh, was not, I mean, the bow is a modern bow. Yeah. The arrow and the stone point is what was super primitive. And basically, these bears were coming off the top of the mountain, and they were, my, my bear pit essentially made a topographic obstacle that they had to go around. Oh. And so, there were two bear trails that split right behind the blind, and one went to the right, and one went to the left. Oh. There was a little hole about as big as a golf ball in our blind that we could see out, and we would see bears walk past us no more than five feet from us. Am I exaggerating? Not at all. <laughs> you'd just see black fur cover that golf ball hole, <laughs> and you'd know, here they come. And uh, we saw a couple of bears. Some bears were smelling us. We know for sure. Some bears didn't. We had two bears come in yesterday, maybe three that mm -hmm. didn't smell us that came in real close and we're you know we're within five yards of us multiple times. But right last night at last light, we were we learned that you had to be super ready because you can only see one direction out of this blind, and when you see them, they're in range, and you can't hear them because it's like you're in a cave. You know you can't hear real good, and basically, I was sitting there with my bow ready. Justin had his camera ready, and and when it got to prime time, we were just on red alert. We'd been sitting there for eight hours. We'd been sitting there <laughs> since noon, yeah, and and we'd let a couple of bears come in on us that I was like, shoot, if that had been a shooter, he'd have got away. One bear came in, looked at us, and left just that quick. So we knew we had to be ready, especially with the big one. And I mean, I, I don't know what I was doing, but I didn't wasn't looking at the golf ball hole. Justin just goes, there he is, there he is, there he is. And I grab my bow, three fingers under the knock, and I say, which side of the blind? And he goes, that side, right side. And about the time he said right side, that bear came around that blind. And rather than just going straight down in front of it, he got to the front of our blind and hung a left, which just, I mean, basically he just turned and, I mean, just walked right in front like of the blind. Like he was coming in. And a, and. I didn't even aim, James. <laughs> I'm serious. I just You don't have to. That I, close. And I don't even think I probably pulled my bow all the way back. I just went <laughs> and uh hit him hit him he was quartering to me just a touch, but it hit him right behind the shoulder and hit the top of his heart. Arrow didn't penetrate real deep. A lot of the arrow was sticking out. He spun, the arrow broke off on a tree. He ran out there forty five yards mm -hmm. and died. I mean you sight. had probably 10 inches of penetration, though, yeah. from where it broke off. But it went through a bunch of meat. If I'd have hit him in the ribs, if he was really broadside, I think it would have got a lot more penetration, but it, it did the trick, man. And it was it, – it ended up being a pretty good bear. He, he had a wingspan of 6 foot 11, mm -hmm. uh, which is a it, – it, it was a boar, a younger boar, but a 
decent bore, you know, in the 200 pound range, probably. Uh, so that's that story. I guess I will tell that story. So <laughs> I guess were, we do have time. You were basically hunting out of a foxhole with a sod <laughs> roof on it. That's right. You got that's, it. It was. <laughs> that's it. That's right. Yeah, you'll be able to see that video later this year. Yeah, it's going to come out, and, and and the video is not about bear hunting. The video about it is about something else. The bear hunt is just a small part of it, right, Justin? Yep. Well, it'll, uh, it'll be a good bear den this winter. Yeah. Oh man, <laughs> yeah. they were. Hey, we got there yesterday uh, after leaving our two chairs, which one wasn't a chair, it was a crate, but it was what Clay needed. And uh, my chair was thrown out where the bait was. <laughs> we couldn't, as far as we could see, couldn't find Clay's chair. So he stacked two rocks and <laughs> sat on them. They uh, carried my chair away. <laughs> you guys are intruders. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. they were, they, trust me, they were in there. Yeah, there was bear scat in the blind when we got there. <laughs> yeah, be home for him this winter. You've got pictures of those bear just climbing over it. I mean, it's just on like, top of it. Hey, what a great guy, man! He's got some stuff. You know, I still say that if if you ever get bored, take some toys out there and tie them to a tree. Little <laughs> plastic rings and stuff. I mean, I've had stuff happen with bears that just tell me they're looking for a party. Yeah. <laughs> what was the What was the difference in yesterday and the day before? I just think this bear just came in and he didn't come in yesterday. It's the first time we'd seen that bear, like with our own eyes. I'd seen him on camera because he had two yellow tags in his ears. Well, but you know, it, it, what do you mean? Within 30 minutes of us leaving on the first night, there was like, what, three or four bears that came in? Uh, two. Two. Yeah. So that probably was it. two. Like almost like they were sitting just out of range, just waiting, and you guys waiting for us to leave. By the time we got back to the truck, and got the bears were there. They were there. But you didn't see any that day, did you? I saw one. Didn't we see yeah, one we the saw first one. day? Yep. Small bear. Like but how many did you see yesterday? The day you killed them? Probably I think, four. I think we saw yeah. four bears yesterday. What was the difference in the two days, I wonder? I huh? don't know. I think it might have been the fact that, I mean, that first sit, um, you know, like we said, our wind was iffy. You just don't know what it's doing, you know? When you're in a tree, you can kind of have some kind of a determination on, like, what your wind might be doing. And there, you we thought maybe it was being held, maybe it was circulating inside. But the way, you know, we were these bears were reacting at different times, it could have been peeling over the top. And the thermals, you know, come into play too. But we just didn't know. So I think... We had that full day of sitting in there the first day, had the young bear come in, but then we had bears come in during the night, and then we had bears there, three or four bears there yesterday morning around 10, we were 10, there. 30, 10 really? o'clock. Before yep. we got there. Before we got While there. we were talking to you. Yep. So I think it was probably s- some, uh, them acclimating to our scent, because uh, yeah. they wanted to come in there, but- like the there not being any scent in there on the first day and us just sitting there wafting, you know, whatever direction that was going, probably they just weren't interested, but they knew like everything was good for at least that 24 hour period. I think that they got a little bit more accustomed to it. Hmm. That blind was really interesting because 
I would take my puffer and puff in that blind, and the wind and, and the puff would just kind of stay in there. Sometimes it would drift a certain direction, but you would step out of the blind and put your head up out of the out of the pit, and the wind would just be really. You go back in and just be quiet. I feel like it really would have helped for scent control if you were trying to get bears within twenty yards of you. Yeah. The problem was, and this is what I didn't know, is that the bear trails, the <laughs> bears want to come from the high. Usually they want to come from high to low. You'll rarely see a bear come to a bear bait from the bottom up. Like they almost always come from up high. Well, the bear bait was below the, the, bear, the pit. So the bears were coming from behind the pit. And they were walking within five feet of us to get to the bait. And that's where the bears would spook. Mm-hmm. We saw a couple of bears come in that we never saw again. We'd see them pass the golf ball hole and then poof. And so basically the blind did not conceal our scent when there was a bear within five feet of it. But that bear made it to within five feet. So if you'd have been in a tree, you'd have killed him way back there. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like he, they were coming in to a radius easily of 20, 30 yards with no problem. Uh, that's pr- you think that's about sure. right? Yep. So to some degree, the bear pit did help contain our scent, but not 100%. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so unique experience. And, uh, and again, I did it so that I could get close, be on the ground and uh be concealed it, movement it was neat because i mean we were in there moving around and talking and you know it just they weren't going to see you mm-hmm. but uh well guys hey thank you gerald it's been great to have you thanks for letting us stay at your camp any closing thoughts i'm just glad to be here yeah appreciate you inviting me in on this yes james good to see you good to have you good to be here Yep. Look forward to it every year. Yep. Justin, better get home to your wife for your anniversary. Yep. Moral of the story of these two stories, it's good to have a camera guy with you. (laughs) (laughs) Those camera guys saw all those moose. That's right. You're right. (laughs) You saw the bear. I wouldn't have been ready if you hadn't seen that I wouldn't have been ready either. (laughs) Yeah. We just got lucky. Yep. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Very good. Oh, Justin, owl hoot. I got to hear your owl hoot. Justin has one of the best owl hoots I've ever heard. It Stand up and do it. You got to stand up. Why? Because you can't owl hoot sitting down. <laughs> oh. That's good. That's good. That's good. That's good. Good, a good one. Good tone. That's a good one. <laughs>Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. 
They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance access deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. 